Amen. Well, I trust we'll be able to continue in our worship as we look at this marvellous passage together. Can I just add to Tim's welcome to all of you? Um, it's great to be here today and to be able to uh, seek to understand what God is saying to us. Can I thank all of you who have been um, praying for me? Uh, some of you remember the last time I stood here. It didn't go quite so well um, because I'd forgotten I was speaking. Uh, Graham sent me a text last night to say everything okay for tomorrow, Paul, and I could not resist but, but reply by saying, Graham, what's happening? tomorrow. Um, so we, we do like uh, Graham to, Graham's prayer life to be enhanced a little bit, um, but I did put him out of his misery after just a minute or two. I felt that was a little bit too cruel. Um, I, I'm not too sure where to start because this morning's been such an insight into the stuff that's going on in some of your minds already, everything from chewing gum to bakeries. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just fascinating, um, with, with the fact that we all come here in kind of very different places. Um, but if I could try and summarise today's message in just three words. Do you think we can manage three words? Really try and keep them in our heads. Uh, For today, it's the three words that are on the screen there. Three words. Stop. Look. Listen. Very familiar words from children onwards. But as we approach this passage of the transfiguration, these are the three words that I want to encourage us all to have in our minds. Stop. Look. Listen. Isn't it the case that it seems as though all of us are incredibly busy a lot of the time and as a result are often just seem to be living life at such a rapid pace? Already I've asked one or two of you how you are today and the answer has been busy or tired. Those seem to be two of the familiar responses, don't they? And what is it about our life where everything seems to be kind of speeding up somehow or other? Uh, even uh, I did a little speed test on, on my Wi-Fi at home. Um, I've got no idea what the numbers mean, but all I know is a year or two ago it was one, and now it's 50. Now, I know Phil at the back will be able to explain exactly what that is, but somehow or other in, a year, in the course of a year or two, it's 50 times faster than it was And it's all just going at such a pace. It's almost like email is now a little bit too slow because you have to press a couple of buttons or sort of log in to get it. So we use more instant forms of communication like WhatsApp. So it's just it's just there and we can do it all really quickly. We can pay for things more quickly than ever. Uh, This is my chance to show off my watch, which I can simply flash. And there I go, I've paid. I hardly need to even think about it. Um, I can just go on to buy even the next thing. And, uh, you know, it's so different to the days where, do you remember standing? in the line and you sort of thought oh no somebody's about to bring out a check and you were just getting ready for that long look some of you are too young to even remember check have have you all heard of checks right it was a way in which you used to be able to pay and you had to write something out uh, and if you were in a queue in the supermarket it would take about five minutes for the person to actually write out their checks um I know that for myself, I'm, as I go back to work tomorrow, I'm getting ready to squeeze in about a dozen meetings in the course of the day. And I feel for those of you with only 12 minute long appointments to see your patients or those of you who have to bill for every six minutes of your time. No wonder that for many of us, the result, the answer that we give when we're asked how we are is either busy or tired. And um, yeah, there's a risk, isn't it? Isn't it that in our life, there can be a relentlessness about it all. And even in our church services, there's a risk that we kind of rush in, that we are stimulated with lots of things going on, and we sort of rush out 
and rush back into the rest of life and all that awaits us today. And some of you are probably already thinking about all that you need to pack in between a quarter to one and the time you go to bed. And the invitation that I think we have today from Jesus himself as we look at the transfiguration is that actually, at times, what we need to do and what he invites us to do is stop. We need to take a bit of time out and we need to reflect more deeply on all that's going on. But not just that, we need to have a really good look We need to have a really good look at Jesus and who he is. Because I wonder as I look around and as I look into my own heart, whether in all of this hurrying and scurrying and relentlessness and restlessness at times, we've lost sight of who Jesus really is. And we're not necessarily acknowledging it to ourselves, but if we stop and pause, have we lost sight? of who he is. I speak particularly to those who have been followers of Jesus, perhaps for many years, perhaps for a lifetime. Have we lost sight of who he really is? And how are we getting on at the whole business of listening to what he has to say to us? Stop, look, listen. How am I getting all of that from this passage? Well, let's uh, let's try and understand a little bit about the passage. Useful if you can have your Bibles open uh, or indeed on your phone or whatever uh, as we try and get stuck into this passage in Luke chapter 9. And let me try and explain why I think there's this invitation at the very start of it to stop. Um, if you were here last week, we looked at some really challenging verses um, in Luke chapter 9 down to verse 27, where Jesus had been uh, giving some really tough teaching. He'd been making it clear to his disciples and followers that he was going to be heading to his death. And he had just been talking to them about how costly it was going to be to follow him, as Luca was uh, bringing to us. And then he says to his Three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Do you know what? We're going to go on a long, long walk. Matthew says it wasn't just a small hill that they were climbing up. It was a high mountain that they were climbing up. And in the middle of all of that scurrying and and, and busyness, they went a long mountain climb. And you notice, and I had never noticed this before until I got stuck into this passage. I just thought, thought in my own mind, transfiguration, short walk up small hill, marvellous thing happens, walk downhill. But that's, yeah, you've got that in your head at some point, that's probably what was going on. Actually, that wasn't what happens, because if you look at verse 37, it says, The next day, when they came down from the mountain a large crowd met him. So I don't think it's stretching it to conclude that the long walk up the mountain was then followed by a long time at the top of the mountain and probably a sleepover, and then they walked down the next day. So in the middle of this passage, where we've had a really busy time, Jesus takes this full day and a bit with his three disciples on this mountain. And notice what happens at the end of it when he comes back down the mountain at verse 37. When he comes back down, he comes to a scene of complete chaos. There's a large crowd just waiting for him. There's a man in absolute despair. 
There's evidence of demonic activity. There's a young boy who's being thrown into convulsions. And there's disciples feeling hopeless and powerless and completely out of control. But sandwiched in the middle of all of this busyness and frenetic activity is this period where Jesus and his three disciples are able to stop. And let's just picture the scene as Jesus says to them, we're going to go on a prayer walk. Ian reminded us when he preached last week that we need to watch out for what happens when Jesus says he's going to pray. Do you remember that one? I wonder how much that teaching has challenged you and has challenged me to be people who recognize our need of prayer. I've been struck by the fact that it seems in some ways that Jesus felt the need or had the desire to be praying more than I have. What's going on there if some of us feel that we can live our lives in all that uh, frenetic activity in a sense of prayerlessness? When we look at the example of Jesus and see his determination, despite all that was going on, despite all the things that needed his attention, despite all the people who needed his attention, to take time out, to go the long walk, and to take the full day and potentially the night in prayer. So there they are, praying, walking, heading up that mountain. And what was going to happen as they headed up? Well, I had the opportunity to um, get away this week with my family. And uh, somewhat unusually, uh, we decided to try to walk up. I'm going to call it a mountain. Some might decide to challenge it and describe it as a small hill. But I don't have any pictures as evidence, so we will describe it as a mountain. We have a dog uh, now, and this is being used as a great excuse to subject our young children to increasing levels of walking because we remind them that they wanted the dog, and dogs mean walking. But the great thing about the walk up the mountain was, of course, every twist and turn. We thought we were nearly at the top, but then another twist and turn came. You know what it's like, those of you who um, have tried recently to walk up a mountain. But the great thing when we actually got to the top was the way in which our perspective totally changed. For us, that mountain was next to, was on the shores of Loch Fine, and where we'd only been able to see a little bit of the loch as we drove along, by getting up to the top, suddenly the view changed, um, our entire perspective changed, and we were able to look right down the magnificence of the entirety, it seemed, uh, of Loch Fine, right out to sea, and it was all worth it. We'd stopped, we'd gone that walk. And we were able to get an entirely different um, view. But what we saw that day, this week, paled into complete insignificance compared to what Peter, James and John saw as they completed their mountain climb. They have the experience of looking at Jesus 
and this time seeing him for who he really is. Now, I love the fact that their vision of Jesus, their experience of the transfiguration, didn't actually depend on them being really, really brilliant followers of Jesus. Could you notice there that actually in Luke it tells us they were sleepy, right? They were, they were weak and they were frail and they were about to pretty much miss the whole thing. But despite that, this wasn't about them. This was actually about Jesus. And so as they get to that, uh, as they get to the top of the mountain, we read in verse 29 that as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. The incredible reality of who Jesus really is, is seen clearly by all those of them at the top of the mountain. It's as though a veil is removed and the glory of Jesus is seen for what it really is. He who had made himself nothing, he who took on the nature of a servant who was made in human likeness is for a short period of time seen for who he really is. The Apostle John, years later, would have a vision of what Jesus would be like um, in the book of Revelation as he looks at the events that will lead to the wrapping up of this world and the ushering in of eternity. And as John gets a vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation, I wonder whether John reflects on some of the similarities between what was seen on that mountain and what Jesus is going to be like as he will be seen by all of us one day. And so in Revelation chapter 1, if you want to uh, flick over to it, in Revelation chapter 1, we read in verse 12, John saying, I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wood as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead Moses and Elijah appear alongside Jesus and we just, and they are described in verse 30 as appearing in glorious splendor talking with Jesus and then uh, and and talking about his departure and then in verse 32 we read that Peter and his companions when they had woken up saw his glory Peter then, uh, true to form, in that wonderful kind of impetuous uh, way that we see so much of, blurts out the first thing that seems to come into his mind. He, he's, he's captivated by the vision of what he sees, and he immediately suggests the starting of a small construction project, that he should build three shelters for Jesus, for Moses, and for Elijah. I don't know where he was going to get the material for it all, but his enthusiasm was there. But even as he is speaking he becomes terrified as a cloud descends and envelops him and the other disciples and indeed Jesus and then they hear in verse 35 these wonderful words the voice of God himself saying this is my son 
whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And once the voice is spoken, they find that Jesus is alone. They've stopped. And this is their chance to look at Jesus. I think there's at least four things that they would have seen and four things that I hope we can see as we take a really good look at Jesus this morning. One, Jesus is God's glorious son. This was confirmed here in verse 35 by God himself. Yes, his glory when here on earth was sometimes veiled. Yes, he remains often unseen and misunderstood. But this passage tells us that he is holy, pure and glorious. Peter, reflecting on what he saw in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 16, says this, We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. God's glorious son. Do we see Jesus as glorious this morning? Second, he's the central character in all of history. Moses and Elijah were there as representatives of the giver of the law and representatives of the prophets that had simply pointed the way towards Jesus. And you'll notice that it wasn't long before they vanished. And as we've already looked, one day, ultimately, when this earth is wrapped up, he will be the one before whom every knee bows. And I think there's just an opportunity to glimpse Jesus in his glory of transfiguration as the central character in all of history. Thirdly, and linked to this, Jesus stands ultimately alone and utterly unique. Moses and Elijah were there speaking with him, but as that cloud descends, they disappear. And Peter realizes he cannot put up three shelters because there is no way in which he can see Jesus as in any way on a par or standing alongside Moses and Elijah. Jesus is utterly unique. Verse 36, they found that Jesus was alone. I think we can have a trust, really respectful dialogue with our friends who uh, pursue other religions and we may find that we have got lots in common. I'm sure that we will potentially around our values, around uh, lifestyle choices. But when it comes to a discussion about different prophets, Let's be clear as Christians that respectfully we must be clear that Jesus does not simply stand alongside a range of other great prophets. We see in the transfiguration that others disappear and Jesus stands supreme in his glory as the only one who is God's son. And finally... And it's just there if we look at it carefully. 
We see him, one, as God's glorious son, two, as the central character of all of history, three, as the one who stands alone and utterly unique, but four, as the one who stands ready to be our saviour. We see here, verse 31, Moses and Elijah spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. His death wasn't going to be an accident. He'd already spoken before this incident about the fact that he knew he was heading to die. And here in his transfiguration, he's speaking to Moses and Elijah about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. Isn't it incredibly deliberate? Isn't it absolutely clear that this is not Jesus who is going to be caught by surprise? This is Jesus, the supreme commander over everything that's going on. The one who is about to choose to bring his departure to fulfillment in order that he can die, in order that he can be the sacrifice for our sins, in order that he can pay the price for sin, in order that he can bring us forgiveness, in order that we can stand today not looking at him only as the glorious, awesome God, but also looking at him as saviour. Now, we don't have the opportunity to physically see Jesus in the same way that Peter, James, and John saw him that day. But marvelously, we are invited to look this morning, to turn our faces this morning on Jesus, uh, using our faith, using our heart, using our minds, using our, uh, using all that we have, and we're invited to contemplate his glory. I'm not just making this up. If you're questioning it, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, and let's see what it has to say to us here. Marvelous words here. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so the encouragement that I take from that is, firstly, let's take the time to take a really good look at Jesus. Let's contemplate his glory. And the marvelous promise in these verses is that as we contemplate his glory, we are changed. We cannot look and truly contemplate his glory and go away unchanged. Now, as I was was preparing this in the course of the week, I had some music on in the background. It's always been my way of studying. Uh, The more studying I have to do, the louder the music has to become. And I suddenly was tuning into some words that were being sung and discovered that as I was preparing this, I was listening to a song called Transfiguration. And the words included this. Holy is the Lord revealed before my eyes. As I behold your beauty with unworthy eyes, The only song my soul can find to sing is hallelujah, my king. I don't have much more to say. 
I do want to say another few things, but can we pause for just three minutes and just listen to that song? And I hope that we might have the opportunity of contemplating the glory of our Lord Jesus. We'll face many challenges in our own lives and we'll face many challenges as a church. But I think it's absolutely the case that if we are people who will ensure that we keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, on his glory, on who he really is, as the one who is uniquely our saviour, then we will find we have the strength and endurance to deal with every single one of these challenges that will come our way. Let's ensure that we never just simply think we're coming and going through the motions and just singing a song or two. Thank you to the band who um, work hard and who practice in order that they might help lead us into worship, in order that we might simply have that fresh glimpse every time we are here of the glory and beauty of Jesus. Can we take some time this week? to stop and to have a really good look at who he is. And finally, as we look at him, God made it clear in verse 35 that he is the one whom we must listen to. What does it mean, I wonder, this morning for us to listen intently to what Jesus has to say to us? Even in this chapter that we've been looking at in Luke chapter 9, he has had so much to say to us about what it actually means to be his follower. And my challenge as we think about what it means to listen to Jesus is that we look again at this passage and all that's coming and we think about what it is Jesus challenges us to do, to be. What he says about our thoughts, about our attitudes, about our behavior. Will we listen and seek out his will for our life? As I say, not just in terms of our actions, but also in terms of our attitudes and in terms of every choice that we make. Parents, as one, I am challenged about the extent to which uh, we will help our children really listen to Jesus? What can we do to help them ensure that they really know what Jesus has for them, what he has in store for them, how he would want them to live? And Jesus himself in John 10 said of his followers, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I think there's a lifelong pursuit about this. I know that as I could look to some of you who are among our most mature Christians here, you would agree that stopping, looking and listening to Jesus is not something that's just for those at a certain age, but is actually a daily challenge, a daily pursuit for all of us. And I'm encouraged in this to to finish off by uh, thinking a little bit about the last words that Peter, who witnessed all of this, had to say to, uh, or, or is recorded as having, say, having said to us. His very final words. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. He said earlier in that letter that he knows his death is coming near. 
And here's what he has to say. And with this, he signs off. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. I've enjoyed just reflecting on the verse, because there's something in it that captures both what's going on in our hearts and what needs to go on in our minds and our heads, isn't there? In the same way as we need to both look at Jesus and also listen to what he has to say. Peter could say it's not one or other. It's not just about our feelings about Jesus, nor is it just about intellectual thoughts and knowledge about him. No, no, he, at the end of his journey, perhaps reflecting back on his life of following Jesus, including that experience of transfiguration, of seeing Jesus' transfiguration at the very end, to those who were following Jesus, says this, stop, look, and listen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May that be our experience today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the one who reveals to us something of your greatness and glory today as we've looked at this passage And we just bow before you, Lord Jesus, and uh, with our hearts bowed before you, and with that image, uh, perhaps something of that image of what you were like that day, and perhaps something of the image of what you will be like when we see you in your glory. We bow before you and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord. Jesus, would you occupy the highest place in our hearts and in our minds and in our affections? Would you help us always to look to you, to listen to you, and to follow you? And in so doing, would we know what it is to be changed, to be transformed, to be made more like you, Jesus? We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.